Hi everyone, and welcome to Marketplace Jungle, where we explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. In this episode, we're continuing our Meet the Marketplace format and learning about the German marketplace, Limango. With over 2 million members and almost 2 million customers, Limango, which is part of the Otto Group, is regarded in Germany as a go-to for sale actions across curated brands and products. Starting life as a Groupon clone, but having now evolved into a fully-fledged marketplace, Limango offers many opportunities to promote your products throughout the year beyond the typical sale periods such as Black Friday. Limango offers most major categories, but their primary focus is on products that will be appealing to their clientele, largely women and young families. As such, fashion, baby, toys, home and garden are some of their most popular categories. Today's guest is Leonard Cresson, who's director of the Limango Marketplace. And in this episode, you can expect to learn why Limango is a great expansion option for your brand within the German market, how Limango has grown from being a Groupon clone to a nine-figure marketplace and one of Germany's top shopping destinations for young mothers, how Limango helps brands to succeed on their marketplace with a variety of promotional campaigns throughout the year, and much more. Ecomelium works closely with the team at Limango to help sellers with the most complex systems and processes to start selling on their marketplace. If you're interested in finding out how to connect your systems to Limango to start selling, do get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or via our website to see how we can help. Leonard, thank you so much for joining to help introduce Limango to our listeners who are looking specifically for marketplaces beyond Amazon. Thanks very much, uh, Jesse, for having me here today. And I'm very glad to just tell you everything about uh, what's important to know about Limango and what we're doing here. Fantastic. So before we do ta start talking about Limango, can you tell me a little bit about Leonard? How did you get into e-commerce? How did you get into the marketplace space? Yeah, sure. Of course. So um, before Limango, I was actually completely offline. So I was uh, heading up a sales division for a UK company that was selling into bricks and mortar, the uh, Edekas and Ravers here in Germany, um, the Obis. And uh, then I applied at Limango. Uh, pretty much, I, I don't want to say by mistake, but my wife prioritized the the applications because I you know, didn't want to do it. And so she said, oh, this shopping club for women, that sounds interesting. So uh, that's how um, I uh, applied at Limango and uh, the recruiting process at the time, this was uh, 2012. So choose uh, of the whole e-commerce um, business. And uh, so the recruiting process was just so mind-blowing. It was so fast. I think within four days, everything was done, settled, and I started the next week. Um, so that's how I joined uh, online and the e-commerce movement. And uh, from then, I, I basically started doing new business models. So digital business models, new business models. That was what I was hired for. Um, we started building a Groupon clone in the beginning. So this was at the high time of, of Groupon. I listened to the other podcasts you were doing and that feature there as well. So that's also sort of like my start in e-commerce. And so we built this with a focus on families and that was pretty successful. So we scaled that over the first three, four years to double digits, maybe your business and uh, gathered the team around us. And uh, this was third party business already. Uh, this was business where we either had uh, digital services that we were uh, getting in for our family uh, target group, or it was um, uh, physical goods. Um, a lot of the times uh, it was um, last season uh, items, stuff like this, and we were selling it, but the suppliers, the merchants, they were sending it out. So 
already a third-party business uh, with fulfillment by the partners. And so this then morphed uh, over the years. Then this whole marketplace topic came into sight and we started um, talking about transferring this model, which was a voucher-based model, um, into a marketplace model in 2016, at the end of 2016. And then it, it just uh, scaled mind-blowingly in the last five years um, and set up the marketplace there. And that's how I, I got into e-commerce uh, with this um, Limango business model that uh, basically scaled very fast um, uh, during that time. And then uh, just adding on different services, uh, different new business models. So you compared it to Groupon. Did Limango also have a shop functionality? Was there like, was there like a an option for consumers on there to also buy physical products alongside the sort of discounts and deals that were there? Was Limango always a kind of a discounted marketplace or, or, or shopping site, I should say? Yeah, so I mean, Limango was founded as a as a shopping club. So Vaux um, Privé was um, at the time the inspiration for our three founders and um, MDs at the time, and and they were basically founding on the on the assumption that if you lock the customer in, you know, you have to give your email address, then you see fantastic offers, and they're also uh, time based, so you have campaigns basically running with high discounts, uh, 60, 70, 80 percent maybe discounts, then over maybe only a few days. Uh, that's worthwhile of you know letting us have your email address, and um, and this would then make for for long term business, and because you could um, keep those in the database, um, and that's how it was founded. Um, that's also still the main business, and that's also why Limango is working so well and scaling so nicely because our cohorts of customers are developing very nicely. Um, we still have a lot of the customers that we had at the right at the beginning um, of Limango, um, and then this uh, deals model that was only a part of Limango at the time we were thinking about how can we add different products in. Give you an example, uh, we were ta uh, talking about uh, trampolines. They were the latest hits uh, during that time, um, but it was really difficult to you know get trampolines into our warehouse. Of course, they mm -hmm. so you don't want to, to bind the, the space or the cap. Um, so we actually went uh, out for uh, looking for uh, supplies that could actually deliver trampolines. And I think we sold, I don't know, in the first year, maybe 300 or so tripods. So it was really, really good business at the time. Um, and, um, and that's how, how we came up with this business model. So that was only a part of the manual, um, a very valuable part. We could just add different services to it. Um, but the manual always had the shop functionality, but I will touch on this, uh, hopefully a little bit later, not as you would expect in standard e-commerce shop. So from a consumer perspective now. Who's the, who is the seller of record? Is it Lemango or is it obviously a marketplace? Yeah. So, um, of course there's lots of stuff uh, going around and what the right setup is for marketplace out there. And we decided at the time, um, because of all the regulations, um, uh, that were out there, um, that you would need it to fulfill. And there was no many and not so many service providers that could actually do this. Um, I'm talking about a, a BaFin requirement. You need to have a BaFin license um, uh, here in Germany to actually hold the money and then distribute it to merchants or brands. <laughs> so we decided to actually go for a commission-based model. And that means that we are the seller of records. Uh, so Limango is always the seller uh, towards our end customer. And um, the merchants are only the um, uh, the ones that are shipping the goods. So that's the, the clear difference. Um, of course, there's lots of different uh, marketplace uh, approaches out there. Some of them actually have the merchants fully in control. They are the seller of record and they're also the ones that ship. Um, but for us, it's, it's actually divided. Do you see advantages to that model versus the, the 
the alternative? There is advantages to this model, especially when it comes to rules and regulations. So um, uh, in the last few years, I think I've uh, made um, as many uh, jumps and said, oh, we are great that we have this commission-based models as I have made curses. So I said, oh, we have this commission-based model. So um, there's, there's, you know, both sides um, to this um, as with everything. Um, at the moment, what's the customer? What we think is the advantage is that, of course, when we are the seller, we are also caring about the customer. So the whole um, issues of payments and also customer service on the first level, at least, uh, they are with us. So we are more in control of actually what happens with the customer. And um, for, for us, that actually makes a, makes a difference. Yeah? Um, uh, that's, I think, I w would say is, is, is the biggest thing. Of course, we're not looking at all the regulations coming in from the European Union. There's many things that, that um, yeah, make it harder for microplaces to exist out there. I'm talking about Digital Services Act, um, uh, for example, the last few years, um, the update to the Vertical, EVO also in, in Germany. So there's lots of stuff that actually inhibits you. And with this commission-based model, we've actually done pretty well. But I guess as a marketplace, that means that you then you have to make sure that the sellers that you're working with are able to meet these requirements because obviously you're then, I guess, liable in it to, to an extent that that is being yeah. met. And so there's obviously a lot of requirements from the Limango side uh, it, um, in terms of who you're partnering with, who your sellers are. Can you, aside from the target customers, and maybe we should also talk a little bit about who the actual customers are that are purchasing on Limango, um, can you also maybe tell me about how you guys go through the process of deciding which brands to work with, what the requirements are for a seller that's looking at Limango as an expansion option and, and how you build that partnership with them? Sure. So of course there's, there's a few hard requirements that we have. Of course, you need to be able to ship the goods. Yeah. There's, um, also, um, if I look at it from, from just the, the customer point of view, yeah, what are we trying to build here? So we're trying to become the number platform the number one platform for families. And that means that we're not only looking at um, this campaign-based business model, but we also want to get the other side of this demand. Yeah? So the mom doesn't always need the Richter shoe in size 28 when we say it's the time now because we have a campaign, but she might need it tomorrow yeah? because she uh, finds out in the morning that her child has grown and, and now uh, she can't put the shoes on the feet. And so, um, so that's the other side of the business. So we want to get that in. And for this to happen, we need to focus. We are not the tier one, as I always call it, marketplace. We're not one of the big ones, not Amazon, not Otto, also not from a resource point of view. So we are very careful in who we onboard. So we only onboard maybe around 150 partners every year. And so we are very strict also in the requirements. But the, the first thing that needs to be met is that we have the right assortment for what we're trying to build. And, um, and that can be very varied. We are not stopping fashion as our core business, but we're not stopping there. A third of our business is also home and living and, and goods in that segment. But of course, there's many other categories that are also relevant for families. And we're also focusing on these categories and building these categories. And we, we make a plan uh, normally for, for the next year and, and trying to see which categories we want to deliver. And we're just doing in the process of doing this now or just finished the process of doing that. Um, and then according to this, we will go out and try to recruit sellers. Now, which categories do we want to build on? What is the look that we want to have? And it's mainly about building a completely rounded picture. And when it comes to products that a family needs, um, when it comes to sort of specific technical requirements, um, as we are not a tier one marketplace, uh, we were very, uh, or in the beginning, we tried 
to have as many uh, interfaces um, as possible just to be able to connect quickly and uh, to say, oh yeah, you're working with Tradebyte or oh yeah, you're working with Novomind or you're working with Brickfox or whoever it is um, and, um, and just try to get as many interfaces in so it's easy for people to connect and say, okay, we want to have another marketplace. Okay, these guys already have maybe the interface we're dealing with. Of course, um, now we have maybe 14, 15, 16 interfaces and that's getting more difficult to handle. And it still needs to be a, a pretty fast scaling business. So we also need to make sure that the resources are invested in the right place. So at the moment, we're also consolidating interfaces and trying to make the right call there. But we can deal with a lot of stuff on the interface side. So I think technically we are well positioned to deal with almost any merchant. Um, is there any other specific requirements? Not really. Yeah, I think we are standard marketplace when it, when it comes to this. Apart from the fact that we're the seller um, of record, uh, but all the pricing, all the product data, that all comes from the merchants. Product data is the point I just wanted. I wanted to make because the number of interfaces or, or integrators that you're connected to is only half the battle. Because obviously, having a technical connection to Lemango Marketplace is all well and good, but there's still the channel-specific requirements that a seller has to contend with. You guys don't want Amazon data being sent via the integrator. Um, you've got your own requirements, what a title should look like, what the descriptions and bullet points are allowed to look like. Um, and that's obviously something to contend with. One question that I do have, because this is this is obviously our daily business at eChameleon is helping sellers to deal with that problem, but it's hard for them for a lot of sellers to understand why that's a problem. It's, it's frustrating. Why can't you just take the Shopify data? Are you able to share some insight from a marketplace perspective as to why that's actually the case, why you have your own requirements about this product data other than trying to annoy sellers, which I know isn't the case? Yeah, no, that definitely, most definitely is not what we actually want to achieve, but it's, um, it's pretty much based on how our data works, how our shop was configured also in the past. And so, as I mentioned in the beginning, we came from a, a purely a shopping club business and, and that business worked in a whole different way than we're working right now. And I said in the beginning, I'm going to touch on this later, and maybe this is not the right point. Our shop is lagging also behind other e-commerce shops because the, the functionality that you would normally have today in a standard e-commerce shop is not what we needed. We were playing high discounts, volume-based business in a short amount of time. And that means um, our, where, where the music is, where the traffic is in our business on the main starting page, and that is not the shop page, that is the shopping feed where we run our campaigns. Now, if you get high discounts, then uh, the customer is much less likely to want to filter down to the last T and understand the product in super much detail. Yeah? So that's why when it comes to attributes, when it comes to product titles, when it comes to how does the customer actually move on the side, how does he identify the product and, and actually make a judgment, makes a judgment about the product, we were working in a different way. And that's unfortunately also transcended into our business. So there's there's no really good answer for saying uh, we actually 100% need it different than anybody else. I would like to get a harmonized view on how we actually get data in and how we actually display data to the customer. And But we still have a journey to go to actually get to that point. There's, I think, specific requirements that also make a lot of sense for us. There's some categories where we want to be, a, be maybe more of a generalist and other categories where we want to be maybe a specialist. So there, the product data needs to be deeper than in other categories um, uh, when it comes to attributes. But I'm not also holding back with the pain points, but that's also a pain point for us in the marketplace development. 
that we're not there uh, and, and and we need to get uh, better at actually dealing with this data and also making it easier for for our merchants to actually onboard. We talk a lot about marketplaces as an opportunity for brands to grow their business and the product data is one of many barriers that they face to doing that. But I'm, I'm curious from the marketplace perspective, what are your what are your barriers to growth? Yeah, from the marketplace side, of course, as I think all the experiences show, if you're looking at um, Amazon, if you're looking at um, Otto also in the last few years, the development they have done is they're getting in really a huge amount of products, a huge amount of SKUs. Yeah, so the growth is in that. But at the same time, that's also the pain point because you need to generate visibility. And a lot of the time out there, this is now connected to, to advertising, to money, to actually getting your product visible for, for the customer. And I think that also is, is, is the biggest barrier we are facing. We're getting in lots of this, these products. And we need to shift the business also that it looks at this assortment from different perspective. Yeah, in, the, in the past, we're looking at campaigns, buying in campaigns. Now it's more about also getting this visibility within the shop. The second side of the demand, not the, the push demand, but the pull demand. And when a customer is actually coming looking for a product to actually get the right visibility. So this has a lot to do with right product recommendations, um, the right search. Um, uh, this is uh, stuff that we we were in the past not so good at. Yeah, so th that's where we need to move forward. That might be different to uh, to other platforms. Yeah, I think Otto has a pretty good search. Amazon also has a, a very good search. Yeah, but that is a limiting factor for us. Yeah, transition that we need to make that people are using the Mango also as a shop, and we're in the process there. Apart from that, I think other factors, of course, at the moment, the, the, the factors that we have out there, the whole situation outside with high inflation prices moving up, that's difficult for consumers. So at the moment, that's also, of course, a barrier for us uh, for growth. But the marketplace business is still scaling very nicely also within Ango. Yeah? So we need to grow as a company. The marketplace will probably outgrow the rest of the company. That's also a fact. And, and then we just need to make sure that we get the right visibility to the right sellers. Yeah? So. Um, getting identifying the right sellers and then making sure that it's not only in the in the acquisition process that you understand what is the assortment that really fits that will really drive value that will really drive turnover that also needs to transcend from the acquisition talk then down to when we have the integration done and the stuff is on the platform yeah i've seen a lot of the times we're talking about i don't know 5000 skills that we want to onboard and then in the end it turns out to be 500 of course that's not the right way right so there's also a barrier maybe there. So you talked about finding the right partners to bring on. That's obviously a two-sided coin because those partners have to want to work with you. And a lot of brands specifically, because you guys tend to deal more with the brands and with retailers, a lot of brands still, even after the COVID-fueled e-commerce boom and, and brands looking at D2C for the first time and, and with that looking at marketplaces as a viable sales opportunity, there are still brands out there that look at marketplaces and say, no, that cheapens my brand. Part of that is because Many brands look at marketplaces and they consider marketplaces synonymous with Amazon. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the mango is a, is a very viable alternative to a fashion brand selling and selling products which are suitable to the home or to the family or a home and garden brand. But you guys have two parts of that. There's, there's the marketplace element. There's also the sort of discount element, which inherently cheapens the brand, so to say. What would be your response to a brand that has that concern if they are looking at Lemango as a potential sales channel? I think there's two, two things, right? How are we maybe different? And then the, this whole view of marketplaces being, being um, maybe cheapening your, your brand. So what I would say is Lemango has this very specific target group. 
And that really sets us apart because we're focusing on the, on the mom somewhere between mid twenties, maybe beginning twenties to mid forties. Yeah. When the kids start making then maybe their own decisions. Yeah. But, um, that's, that's a clear focus and you don't lose any, any customers here. You're, you're not going to five marketplaces all have the different uh, or the same approach. I get as many products in as many sellers in, and, and then do this. We are selecting brands, we're selecting merchants. So we're also very curated. As I mentioned before, we're only onboarding maybe 150 partners. So we're looking very carefully that we build a viable business together. You'd be surprised on how many times I've had this discussion, but once you start actually putting the business cases on the table, it looks completely different. People need to just jump over that barrier of this perception that it, it cheapens your brand. And, but what you need to have is you need to have a clear strategy. And that's also something that we are very adamant about. We are, we are always trying to find out, does this brand, does this merchant understand that they need to have a strategy for marketplace? Because you're absolutely right. Yeah. If you're just letting it rip, just integrate all market or integrate all marketplaces, then of course that will cheapen your brand. But if you're doing it, you're saying, I have this target group and I have maybe a part of my products that is especially valuable for, for young moms. Yeah. Then we are a good alternative. And we're selling a lot of the stuff that we're selling on marketplace for full price or market price, as I call it, because it's not always a full price or a um, RRP, but it's more a market price. But what we offer in addition is that we can actually get you into these promotions. And especially right now, and also in the last year, there's, there's always overstocks and there has always been, and there will probably always be overstocks. But especially now when, when people are not sure how it's going to move, when inventories are full, it's actually a real feature to be able to draw on these uh, price aggressive um, promotions, but then also shift products very quickly. And that's something that we can actually add to this mix. So if you're understanding us and what we can deliver to you, then it's not only cheapening your brand, but it's positioning your brand in a specific target group with the option of actually running this campaign-based business and actually moving product. And that obviously aligns well with the D2C approach that these brands are taking in the sense that they're looking at marketplaces now as an option to potentially save margin that would otherwise be going to distributors, retailers, and however many other middlemen that there were in a traditional business to consumer um, supply chain. Now they are selling those products themselves to the consumer. They've got a much, they've got a lot more margin. And so it means that, yeah, you guys as a marketplace can have a, can have a cut. And it means that there's room to play on the price, which means that they can then take advantage of these campaigns. Can we, can we maybe talk a little bit about the campaigns? Because obviously every marketplace has different ways of promoting products, whether it's on Amazon, you've got, you know, your traditional pay per click advertising on eBay, you've got promoted listings. Frugo has like a commission dial where you can, turn up the amount that you pay them and they dedicate a bit more of that towards Google ads and things like that. What does Limango do? How can, how can a brand promote their products on Limango or how can they partner with you to make sure that products are getting sold? Yeah. So of course we have some of the same stuff that other retailers have, but for us, as I also said before, the, the main music for us is still in this shopping feed. So of course we're focusing also on this and, and part of the advertising that maybe is not in other shops is that you are actually moving these campaigns. So we have um, the possibility that you can push and promote your campaigns if you're running campaigns with us. And that also has a huge effect. So you can actually also pay for a position, pay for actually and maybe lifting your position on the fourth day or so of a campaign. And that will actually drive a lot of re revenue. But then, of course, we have all the other works of retail media business. So we are looking also at sponsored product ads, not there yet. But that's also something that's relevant for us. But apart from that, you can book 
any category banners, listings on the shop start page. You can also promote your brand. Um, so there's lots of options here as well. And we're also doing a little bit of social media on the marketing side where you can also profit from our reach in social media, which is pretty good. There's lots of options there to create this visibility, but we're always looking and working with the partners in, in our yearly talks, which are ongoing at the moment. We're looking at the business case and identifying what do we need to do to promote the products? Where do we need to position them? Yeah? Not only in the campaigns, but also on the site. But there is, and I, I will always admit to that, there's still a way we need to go there because that side of the business is still growing. Yeah? It's growing fast, but it's still growing and we need to get better at, at, at the standard e-commerce side of it. Working with the partners, that's, there's so much to that sentence because again, people will look at marketplaces and they, they, they think Amazon and anyone that's sold on Amazon knows that seller support is, there is no seller support and there's, there's definitely no partnership. The advantage of working with is you, you call yourself a, not a tier one marketplace, but I think the advantage of working with a not tier one marketplace is that it's a partnership and it's not a B2B relationship in the sense that you're buying products from them. There's no, there's no hierarchy here. This is really a case of you're saying, Hey, look, we've got traffic that's relevant for your products. You've got products that's relevant for our traffic. Let's marry up. Let's make sure that we can work together so that everyone wins. And I mean, even I know your commission model at the moment is also flexible. It's not fixed fee that someone's going to pay. And it's not your way or the highway. It's negotiated as part of that first contract negotiation with each partner to figure out like what's actually going to make sense so that this is a viable business relationship for everyone. And I think that's also a really attractive option for not tier one marketplaces, as you call it. But I'm curious in, in terms of this partnership, in terms of a brand starting to sell on Limango or growing their business on Limango, what are, what options are there going to be in the future? What um, what, what is, what does the growth actually look like? Have you got any numbers that you can share? What a typical business would be selling on Limango in comparison to say a Zalando? Um, or are you able to share any kind of growth figures that would help somebody make that business case? So I think really specific numbers are very difficult because auto is very secretive about any kind of numbers. So, um, uh, you gotta be careful here, but what I can say is this, that over the past five years, we've, we've managed to actually grow this business into nine digits. And so that means there's significant growth there. And it's no secret that also in the first few years, we've grown exponentially. Yeah. So it's, it's more like, you know, like, uh, quadruple the business, um, triple the business. Um, in the last uh, year or so, it has also died down a little bit when it comes to sort of the, the growth rate. It's not exponential anymore, but that was to be expected once you reach a certain number. Mm -hmm. Um, but still. Um, I think the growth is, a, is, is definitely a selling factor and um, we're still outgrowing the rest of the e-commerce market uh, when it comes to the marketplace uh, model. What a specific brand or merchant sells um, at Limango during a year is super dependent on category, on the size of the merchant. So it's really difficult. You know, I, an average number will not help. But what I can say is that that for us, it's important it needs to be one of these 150 partners that makes sense to both parties. But this could be meaning that they have the relevant assortment. And we had a partner in the beginning that had only five products, but they were selling massive amounts of those products. So that for us is also a, a cool business case. Yeah, if, if we have something that's really trendy, that's really cool, that fits the target group, 
then that's fine, fine for us as well as a, as a business case. Yeah. But we have limited amount of partners that we, they were integrating. We're also looking at the, the big partners, of course. And here to generate a business case is much easier. If you have a, a you know, a lot of skews, of course, it's great, especially if they're in the right categories that we want to grow. But yeah, it's specific, specific numbers would be difficult. We have about 550 partners live now doing non-digital business. Then you can make your own deductions from that thing. And you mentioned, you mentioned Otto, um, obviously Lemango for anyone who doesn't know is part of the Otto group. So there's the Otto being the very traditional German business household name. Everyone, everyone in Germany has heard of Otto and it has become a marketplace in recent years, but there's also my toys as part of that group. And I think where you've got these big marketplace names all part all together and I think about you is also part of the auto group as well. If I'm, if I remember rightly, Correct. there's no technical connection between the, between the different marketplaces, but I imagine at a group level, there's a lot of strategic work that goes into making sure that what benefits one benefits all. And so it's, it's not Limango as a small tier two marketplace that isn't an Amazon or isn't an auto. It's a unique selling opportunity, which has the backing and the knowledge and the strategy of a much larger group and is actually something that's worth looking at compared to say a smaller marketplace that might be a bit more standalone and figuring things out for themselves at every step of the process. It is a, a sore point for, for me specifically because I, I was also involved at the time when we were discussing already a few years back in the, in the starting phase of the marketplace for us, if we can actually make a connection between the company's work. But Otto was a, at a completely different level. They have revamped their marketplaces, everybody knows, within the last two years, and also set it up technically completely, on a technical level, in a completely new way. About you was always a bit separate. Yeah. Uh, then at the time, there was the small check in the, in the Otto group as well. So we're also talking to, to these guys. So, but everybody was, was independent. And that's, it's part of the strength of the group, I think, that these are all independent companies. And there's also competition between these companies and that's also wanted. Yeah. Because, um, of course, as you said, there's a unique selling point for each and every one of those companies. And so it's also good if we are out there in the market and, and making our own cases. I always had the feeling at the view that it will get easier managing data when I look back at 2016. So, of course, also the amount of data has increased. Yeah. It's also gotten easier, but also the amount has increased. So it's gotten harder again. But I still think that at uh, some point in time, we will actually harness the group power also and have a technical connection between these marketplaces. We are already working together with some of the companies. MyToys is a seller at the Mango, and Lascana is a seller at the Mango, for example, um, which also belongs to the auto group and vice versa. So there's, there's um, uh, still competition. And I think that is good for, for business. But th then there's also this uh, group synergy and that we're trying to also get better at. Um, and I think we will also get to that point in, in the future where maybe one connection is enough to connect to everybody. You still need to steer all these marketplaces, right? They're all different. And as we touched on before, you need a good strategy uh, for each and every one. It doesn't make it easier if you have one connection and then you have no strategy for mm -hmm. your, or five or six different marketplaces. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I am curious to see where that takes us because you see, um, for example, the International Marketplace Network where you've got a, a connection between Kaufland, ePrice, eMag, and the discount, but that's about it. 
there's not there's 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 not that much else that kind of goes with it and it's fine if you're selling the same pair of nike shoes that already exists on one of those marketplaces and you can just do a quick ean match but there's not much to help you if you want to sell on those marketplaces properly and you're just trying to sell your own brand you still have to create listings on each of the channels and but it's a good step in the right direction and it's things like that i think are the future of marketplaces because that's just where they they're where they're inevitably going to grow. You have to have those technical connections between each of these channels because not everyone wants to shop on Amazon, but people don't always know what other channels are out there. Yeah. And and I think you know uh, also integrators um, also like like yourselves have have made it a whole lot easier. If I look at the beginning of the discussion in back in 2015, 2016, um, there was not so many uh, people out there uh, that could do this uh, in a, in a good way. And and today you know, the challenges are slightly different uh, when it comes to to, to doing this. There's different marketplaces out there. Uh, there's so many. Um, there's a proliferation of marketplaces, but there's also a proliferation of these middlewares interfaces, as you want to call them. And um, but that also make make it easier. Yeah? There's maybe specific ones, trade by with a focus on fashion that actually uh, that does um, make it very easy. Yeah, some of the fastest onboardings we have is players like yourself that help also the marketplaces to, to connect and, and make sure that all of these individual requirements are met yeah, from both sides and, and make it very easy to connect. So um, I think we will probably see a consolidation of some form at some point, and that will then also maybe bring us to just one connection that serves, uh, serves many also on the marketplace. Fantastic. Okay, Leonard, let's uh, let's bring it home. I think that's that's been a really, really good overview. I want to share this to anyone that's looking at selling on non-Amazon marketplaces. I think it's going to be a really good resource for people figuring out which other German channels are available. So thank you so much for taking the time today. And yeah, let's see how this thing progresses. Perfect. Thanks very much for, for having me and uh, letting me share our view here uh, over at Limango. And we're really looking forward also to still building this marketplace business also together with you guys. And then let's take it from there. I will be listening into the Marketplace Jungle podcast and, and seeing what else is on there. Thanks again for listening in, everyone. I can't wait to continue the Meet the Marketplace series and bring you more marketplaces that you can review to hopefully continue to expand your business beyond Amazon. Once again, if you're interested in selling on Limango, do feel free to reach out to me and let me know and we can see if there's a way that eChameleon can help you realize that goal. One obvious hurdle with this being an English-speaking podcast is the chances are that you might not be in Germany. That unfortunately means you might not be eligible to sell on Limango. But there are ways around that through seller of record services from some of our partners who also offer logistic services based in Germany and help many other brands to succeed on Limango Marketplace. If that's something you might be interested in, just let me know and we can see if we can help you succeed here. Thanks again for listening today and see you next time.